Welcome to the Dietitian Rehab Podcast, where we not only challenge and inspire dietitians to think outside the traditional dogmatic education, training, and attitudes for a mind wide open, but also to challenge anyone to think differently about their own health. We'll talk all things food, health, and nutrition related as we explore points of view, evidence, and strategies for better health that will allow you a fuller understanding of the hot topics that everybody's talking and asking about. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Doug Cook, and today we have a really interesting conversation about biohacking. Today's guest is Oksana Andriuk. She's a biotechnology scientist, biohacking consultant, and speaker. She founded Canadian Biohacker and Toronto's first and largest biohacking meetup group with a mission of bringing biohacking and anti-aging science to the mainstream. She holds an honors Bachelor of Science in Genetics and Biotechnology and a Master's of Biotechnology from the University of Toronto. Oksana has a long-standing interest in the applications of technology to optimizing health and performance. She believes the future of healthcare lies in disease prevention and delaying and even reversing the aging process, ultimately extending health span and lifespan. Oksana brings an extensive knowledge of the healthcare industry, having worked in private, nonprofit, and public health sectors across Canadian and U.S. markets. So without further delay, let's get to the show. Oksana, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited for our conversation today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it for months because just by way of introduction to the listeners, I saw you participate in a panel discussion titled The Future of Food at the WE Learning Centre in Toronto back in March. And I was super intrigued by your bio, which you can elaborate on in a second. And there were so many things that you talked about that I actually share, didn't know I shared them in the way that you frame these things that really piqued my interest as a nerd. So at the time, I just launched my podcast and I thought to myself, I have to have her on as a guest. So here we are. So just to help people kind of understand your expertise in this area, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your journey, and how you got to where you are now being interested in this topic? Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. And it's funny because that Future of Food event happened right in the beginning of March, right before all the lockdown craziness started. I think that was the last real event that I even went to. So it was great to meet you there. A great timing. But yeah, so a little bit about myself. I'm a biotechnology scientist. I'm a biohacker. I'm a futurist. My academic background is in genetics and biotechnology. So I completed my master of biotechnology from the University of Toronto. And I just had a longstanding interest in the applications of biotechnology to optimizing our health and performance with a special interest in longevity and anti-aging, which we'll get into on this podcast. But I founded Canadian Biohacker with a mission of bringing health optimization and anti-aging science to the mainstream. And back in 2017, I actually started and still head up the Biohacking and Longevity TO meetup group, which is Toronto's first and largest biohacking meetup event group. So I'm also currently a strategist at Click Health, which is one of the top commercialization agency partners to global life sciences organizations. So I've had the opportunity to work across essentially every therapeutic disease state, which has been incredible and and very cool and full of learnings. But what I get really jazzed up about is the future of healthcare, which I believe lies in disease prevention and delaying and even reversing, hopefully soon, the aging process to ultimately extend our health span and lifespan. So that's really a crucial 
point. And some people might think it's nuanced, but I've been doing this for 22 years. My interest in health and nutrition and that kind of stuff got peaked when I was young and my mom got a, a got cancer. Like a lot of people, it's something there's a, a defining moment. But for 22 years, working in the mainstream kind of healthcare model, we talk about prevention, no one's really doing anything about it, or they talk about prevention in a way that's very different than what this future viewpoint looks like. So people, like we're good at extending lifespan, right? People are living longer, right. they're not living well. So it's this concept of, of health span uh, that's really, really intriguing. So in my own way, I've been pursuing this without even thinking about it for the past 40 years. And of course, back in the day, we didn't call them hacks. We call them like tips and tricks or like just, you know, general advice for eating well or living well to try and have a quote anti-aging effect. So when you talk about biohacking and longevity medicine and slowing the aging process, what does that mean? Like, how would you define biohacking? Yeah, so I mean, you touched on a great point there in terms of are we tracking or how do we know that what we're doing is is effective? And just to kind of bring it back, so biohacking can be defined as the art and science of modifying your internal and external environments to optimize your biology and really take control of your biology and, and change its course in a way. So in short, biohacking can be thought of health optimization. I know biohacking is sometimes a scary word. And even at my meetup events, I always have people coming up and asking, you know, is biohacking like inserting chips into your body? It sounds scary. And it's sure, you know, you can take it to that level, but you really don't have to. At the foundational level, it's health optimization. And people biohack for different reasons. Um, you know, someone may only want to biohack to optimize their memory and focus, or someone else is really focused on just sleep. My goal is to live healthier for longer, which in a way is a loftier goal because it encompasses so much. So in, in my approach, biohacking means setting yourself up for longevity by slowing down the accumulation of damage, which is what causes those symptoms of aging to show up in our bodies. So my approach is to proactively set ourselves up for that longevity success because it's more difficult to reverse damage that's already occurred. And what you know, I think often gets missed in the conversation around biohacking is really utilizing the power of data and technology. And that's something that I really nerd out on with my background in biotechnology, because we are living in such an exciting time right now where we have these tools and devices and the technology required to really quantify and measure and learn from our own biology, what's working, what's not, and then pivot and optimize as we go. So just for clarity, when we talk about biotechnology, it can be advanced testing. Is it anything different? Maybe just help people understand, or even for myself, biotech is, what does it entail? Like, what do we mean so by that? Biotech can entail both therapeutics or devices or tests and tools that can serve to help to optimize our health and our biology. So to your point, you know, you can look at biotech in terms of the tests that you can do to really quantify your biology, like DNA tests, blood work, you know, testing your biological age, and we can get into all the various tests that we can do in that space. But it, it also encompasses devices and tools. So fitness trackers, that's biotechnology as well, or larger therapeutic molecules. So in the land of biotechnology, a biotech therapeutic product would be anything that's a protein or like a large molecule drug, essentially, that 
can react in your bodies, but it's, it's essentially a more complex molecule. So if we think about like aspirin or Advil, like a bicycle, a biologic therapeutic would be like an airplane. So they're just a lot more complex, which makes them very interesting. And there's definitely a lot of exciting progress happening in the longevity therapeutic space right now. A lot of things are in preclinical trials, but there's just so much progress being done. And that's what gets me so excited about this space because we are living in a time where in our lifetime, we may see some of those age reversal or anti-aging therapeutics come to market that can really work at the biological level to affect your health. So it doesn't minimize it when I say it's nothing new, but for people who, I, I find there's two kinds of responses. So I've got a bunch of peers. My profession's very conservative. So when they hear something that sounds like new fazzle dazzle, whatever, like biohacking, they see it as a gimmick and a fad. And then perhaps mm-hmm. older people, I don't know, I don't want to categorize them, maybe older than 60. It might seem like, I don't know, too futuristic. But I mean, medicine has been doing these in different ways. We're just getting more sophisticated about it. I mean, we've been using biotechnology. When we synthesize insulin using bacteria, that's a form of biotechnology, isn't it? Exactly. Insulin can be thought of as a biologic drug because okay. it's, it's a peptide. So it's a longer chain amino acid protein. So for sure, that is a form of a biologic. And that's been around for so long and we're all comfortable with that one. Yeah, so it's, I think it's just maybe the, the new packaging of it has some people confused. Um, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people that find it like, you know, there's a lot of things that are new and cutting edge and that doesn't mean we can't play with it. Like maybe some genetic testing is kind of new, but it doesn't mean that it, it's not gonna get better or that it doesn't have some application. And so I guess you kind of answered my next question because it really is about personalization, but I guess biohacking can be general and it can be also very targeted and specific. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to what are the goals of biohacking for an individual and different people may have very specific goals, whether, you know, you're just optimizing, you're generally healthy and you're just wanting to make sure you're feeling at your best every single day to ensure your your health span but you know if someone is dealing with a specific health condition then you know they're likely going to be focusing on that through biohacking you know as i said with my approach it's really biohacking with the goal of extending health span and lifespan. And to your point, it can seem like a newer field. You know, I think most of us has, have accepted that aging is just part of life and there's nothing we can do about it and we're all just going to age. But what's exciting is longevity research is such a rapidly growing field right now where the research is focused on examining aging as a disease which can be prevented, slowed, or even reversed. So back in 2013, there was a paper published in Cell Journal, which outlined nine hallmarks of aging. And it's just such a highly cited paper. I mean, it really was a pivotal moment for the entire industry, because now we know at the cellular level, what are those processes involved in aging? And so now we can really focus research on examining each one of those hallmarks and developing therapeutics to to prevent it or reverse it or you know work with those hallmarks of aging in some way where we can really alter aging at the biological level to prevent it or slow it down 
that's a bit of a mind blowing uh, concept. <laughs> so, so one thing that I'm acutely aware of, and even as recently as a couple of years ago, I was talking to a friend and he didn't understand the concept of biological age and chronological age. People understand it because they all know people who don't act their age or look their age or function at their age. But can you just explain the difference between a biological age and a chronological age? For sure. Yeah. So chronological age is the number of calendar years since a person was born. So that's the sort of the normal way that we count our age. We have our birthday every year and we add on a number. Biological age is looking at the biological level, how your body is aging, which can be faster, slower than your chronological age, depending on variety of factors, your genetic factors, your lifestyle, the environment that you live in, the food that you eat. I mean, our genetics are only responsible for 50 something percent of how we're going to age. The rest is really environmental. So our lifestyle, our medical history, you know, have you been in a car accident or some other, you know, medical, acute medical accident and just your lifestyle overall plays a huge factor in how you're going to age. So determining your biological age and tracking it regularly can really give you great inputs in terms of just giving you feedback on how's your lifestyle working for you. You know, So for me, it was important to test my biological age to set a benchmark for myself. And then I'm looking to be testing that every six months to see, you know, this six months I aged this much versus if I implement, you know, a new diet or a new exercise routine, change something about my lifestyle and then retest six months later, did that actually slow down my rate of aging at the biological level or did it speed it up? So it's a very interesting marker because, you know, two people may both be 40 years old chronologically, but one person may actually be 32 biologically and the other may be 48, you know, for example. So chronological age is a very rough, vague number that doesn't really tell you at the biological level level what's going on. Yeah, and I guess there's always been sort of gross markers for that. So you can look at bone density, maybe grip strength, pulmonary or lung function tests, insulin resistance. And even at that level, we know these things exist. And yeah, to your point, two people can be the same age, but look and act very differently depending on what's going on at the cellular level. So I'm just thinking, going back to that paper that you talked about, it was on one of your Instagram posts, which was amazing, which we can direct people to at the end. You listed the nine hallmarks of aging. So I'll finish my thought, but the hallmarks of aging. So I'm just wondering just uh, in a second, if you can briefly review these and help the audience understand what they are and why they matter. And maybe just a couple of interesting things that are being used to target these hallmarks of aging. To your point about the things working at the cellular level, in like because I'm a dietitian nutritionist, we're still thinking really macro. So unfortunately, what I try to get people to understand, even with something as simple as supplementation, mm-hmm. when you think about the biochemistry of the cell, satisfying all the requirements for a nutrient will enhance the biological, like the the biochemistry of the cell, which then, you know, affects energy level and that kind of stuff. So I just find, I think the profession still at the macro level. So it's like, you know, fats, carbs, avoiding deficiencies. So, but we know that diet nutrients along with other things can go deeper. So 
I think the audience would be find it really interesting if we kind of go through the nine and just understand what that means or why that might be a problem. Yeah, for sure. We can dive into that. So we could start with sort of the primary hallmarks of aging. So these are the primary causes of cellular damage. So there's four that fall under the primary hallmarks. There's altered intracellular communication. So as we age, we tend to see that cells become less efficient in being able to communicate effectively with each other. There's genomic instability. So as we go every day, you know, just from our environment, we're accumulating DNA damage. And while we're young, our body is great at being able to get rid of that damage or fix it or in some way just flush it out of our bodies. But as we get older and we accumulate more damage, our body becomes less effective at getting rid of it over time. There's also telomere attrition. So telomeres are little ends at your DNA that protect it. And so essentially, as your cells divide, your telomeres get shorter and and frayed over time. So, you know, there's a lot of research happening in that space and looking at can we lengthen our telomeres? Can we protect them from fraying in some way to slow down the aging process at that level? And then there's epigenetic alterations as well. So I talked about epigenetic testing in some of my posts also. That's a very exciting space where they're looking at epigenetics. So we have our DNA, our genetic blueprint. That's one thing, you know, we were born with that. It doesn't really change. And then there's epigenetics, which are essentially little tags on your DNA that throughout our lifetime signal to our bodies, which genes need to be turned on or turned off at different times. So while we're young, we may require certain genes to be turned on, you know, to help us grow, develop all those great things that we don't need when we become adults. So those genes get turned off and then different ones get turned on. And so epigenetics can give it's a way to test biological age right now um, where you look at what kind of genes are turned on and off in your body and that can kind of set the stage of where biologically you are in your aging process so those are the primary hallmarks of aging i know i'm kind of flying through them so i hope that's okay then there are the antagonistic hallmarks of aging, which is the second group. And these are sort of like responses in your bodies that initially can help to mitigate the damage that's happening. But eventually, if they're happening chronically, or if they're exacerbated, these processes may actually become deleterious themselves. So an example would be if your insulin response is chronically overactive, that may manifest as type 2 diabetes, for example. And so a lot of these markers can be tracked and You can get those early on signals if you're careful about and diligent in testing. And so you could, if you are able to catch those signs early, you can then try to mitigate the damage, change your lifestyle, change your diet or what have you to kind of mitigate those responses before they become exacerbated in a negative way. So there's three hallmarks that fall under this category. There is deregulation in our nutrient sensing. So our body's ability to sense, you know, which nutrients do we need? Which ones are we deficient in? Being able to absorb nutrients. 
and metabolize them properly. So as we age, we have a desensitization of our of nutrient regulation. And then there's mitochondrial dysfunction, which mitochondria are little powerhouses in all our cells that really give us the energy that we feel every day. And we really need our mitochondria to be working properly. And mitochondria ages on its own as well. And so as we age, you know, we may be still eating the same healthy way. We may be exercising, but over time, we just kind of feel this like loss of energy overall. You may be thinking what's what's happening? You know, I'm still eating healthy. I'm still exercising, but why am I feeling more tired? And so a part of that is mitochondrial dysfunction. So it's the mitochondria's ability to produce the energy that your body needs. And then the last one in this category is cellular senescence. So this is an interesting one. And there's, again, a lot of research happening in this space to develop therapeutics to sort of combat this factor. But as we go through life, you know, our our cells divide, they perform their function, and then they die off and they need to be flushed out of our bodies. So with cellular senescence, what ends up happening is certain cells become damaged or they're no longer functioning properly and they end up hanging around in our body and our body doesn't, isn't able to flush them out. So what ends up happening is they collect, they start excreting inflammatory factors. Our body recognizes that, you know, there's something wrong with the cell, like it shouldn't be here, but it's not able to flush it out. So cellular senescence really starts to create problems like joint pain, inflammation. That's an example there. It's more of an inflammatory condition where these cells are hanging around, creating inflammation in our bodies and our body isn't able to get rid of them properly as we age. So there's a lot of great research happening there of developing therapeutics to help our body flush those senescent cells out. And then the last category, so we went through primary hallmarks of aging, the antagonistic hallmarks of aging, and then there's the integrative hallmarks of aging, which kind of combine the first two categories together. And they're kind of ultimately responsible for the functional decline associated with aging. So there's stem cell exhaustion and again, nutrient sensing as well. They're both associated with sort of like that functional decline of our bodies just not working as efficiently overall. So those are the three main categories. I know I kind of flew through them a little bit. Any questions before we kind of move, move on? To the next topic? Yeah. So I basically followed what you said because I have a little bit of basic background in biology and that kind of stuff. So the, yeah, some things are an intuitive, like if cells aren't communicating with each other, it's not just cells, for example, within, let's say two neurons talking to each other, cells of different types talk to each other as well. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And actually, are you thinking like through hormones and and that kind of thing? Or is it just the cell to cell, like the neighboring muscle cells to each other and that kind of stuff? I mean, it's intracellular communication that encompasses all cells in our bodies. And actually, one more that I didn't mention was loss of proteostasis. So proteostasis is our body's manufacturing proteins that we need day to day. So as we age, that's another factor where, you know, our body may be getting a little bit less effective at manufacturing those building blocks that we need in our daily lives. So, yeah, so everything goes south as we age. Basically <laughs> yeah, not to uh, keep, keep beating a dead horse. <laughs> 
is this all part of programmed cell death? Because that's a theory of aging, right? The cells are in our DNA. They're just, it's just pre-programmed that they're going to poop out. Or is that something right, so that Exactly right. Yeah. So pre-programmed cell death falls under cellular senescence. So ideally, you know, once the cells stop functioning properly or it's kind of at the end of its life cycle, it'll get flushed out of our bodies. But when they end up hanging around, sort of like half functioning or not really functioning properly, they're not doing their jobs and our body recognizes that there's something wrong. So it starts trying to get them out. It's not really able to. And then that creates sort of inflammation and, and additional problems. So I think the ones that stand out for me, and I was, I've been tinkering this inadvertently, I think a lot of people have who've been trying to do their own hacks. I've always focused on nutrients. But, you know, the free radical theory of aging, that free radicals are like these nasty things that go around and damage stuff. So I think a lot of that early work was focusing on stabilizing the genome when you have talk about genomic instability. So free radicals trying to protect DNA specifically if it's genomic against damage. So then that's why antioxidants were all the rage. The one that's really interesting to me is the telomere attrition. Mm -hmm. So these, like, I think the analogy, I think you already said this, it's like the cap on a shoelace that protects the end of the the DNA. And so when Mm -hmm. we multiply and that gets shorter, the DNA just kind of poops out. But there is good research showing how we can maintain those telomeres and maintain the the DNA to some degree, correct? Yes, I mean, it's a growing field. There's there's still a lot of research happening. There are no sort of viable therapeutics on the market right now that, you know, you can take something and it's going to extend or protect your telomeres. There's some speculation hypotheses, but no sort of therapeutic, a viable therapeutic on the market. Through, you know, supplementation, you may be able to help delay that process. But again, just focusing kind of on the biotech space, it's still a a preclinical, preclinical stage area of research. But in terms of the different free radicals, I mean, there's, there's different kinds of free radical damage, different kinds of antioxidants. And it's an interesting space as well. It's not one that I've dove into too deeply. But for example, you know, oxygen can be considered <laughs> as causing free radical damage, but we know that oxygen is so great at, you know, keeping out viruses and bacteria and ensuring wellness in your body. There's, you know, hyperbaric oxygen therapy that's amazing at treating certain conditions. So it's it's hard to just kind of put a stake in the ground and say like free radicals are bad for you. Um, right. I think with a lot yeah, of these yeah. things, there's like a bit of a balance. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the so-called redox balance. So, so I guess the stuff that I've come across, it's really just hypothesis generating around telomere length. Cause there's some associations between just getting enough vitamins and omega threes and reducing inflammation at maintaining them. But I guess really where you're going to get seen effect is if we had the technology to grow it, which would be a telomerase or an enzyme, right? That's that would be the the real hack, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Like, and and that's that's an area where you know there's research coming out saying longer telomeres are better, but there's also research showing that you know when they get too long, that can be damaging for your body as well. That could cause cancer and you know just okay. things going awry. So I think it's. We can all agree that our body is such an intricate, complex system, very intelligent at that, that, you know, it's not 
going to be just one therapeutic, the you know, magic pill, if you will, that will be able to take and live forever. I think it's really going to be a more holistic approach that addresses all these different cellular pathways. Because, you know, if you extend your telomeres, great, but if everything else is not being addressed and sort of falling apart or just going awry, then that's going to be a problem too. So I think that's important to recognize that it is a complex field. There's a lot of exciting research happening. We have increasingly more tools to quantify and measure our biology, but in terms of addressing aging, it's probably going to be um, a more holistic plan to do so. And the other thing too, I don't know if you want to chat about different ageotypes and the research coming out in that space that's related to longevity, but it's a new publication that came out in the beginning of this year, essentially classifying four ageotypes that any given person may be aging according to. So I could dive oh. into that if, if that's Yeah, I've never interest. heard that. So I, I'm intrigued. I was going to talk about mitochondrial dysfunction, but this sounds a little more interesting. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand with the nine hallmarks of aging. So that's kind of like what's happening at the cellular level. But the next question is, well, you know, does everyone age in the same way? And we know that that's a no, because just by looking at everyone's biological age, there's such a variety in, in the rate of speed that different people are aging. And so there was a study that came out um, in the beginning of this year that looked at answering this question. So they followed around a pretty large cohort of individuals and were measuring essentially everything about their biology, <laughs> every type of test that was available. It was really, really cool. I mean, I, I wish I could have participated in that study because I would love to know. But essentially, they were able to determine that there are four ageotypes, as they called them, that everyone is aging according to. So there's immunity pathways, liver dysfunction, metabolism and inflammation, and kidney dysfunction. And so different people exhibit different aging pathways that are stronger than others or just show up stronger than others in their bodies. And so someone may be aging in terms of their liver dysfunction, you know, their liver just, uh, the function keeps going down and it's not functioning properly, but they may have a great immune system, you know, never get sick. <laughs> Any virus or infection they catch, they just battle through it super quickly and recover fast. Or, you know, someone may have kidney dysfunction as they age and metabolism and inflammation showing up or metabolism slowing down. But again, they have a great immune system and their liver is just top notch. <laughs> so it was an interesting study where essentially if we're going to be talking about like what, you know, what should I focus on to slow down my aging process, we really are going to need these kind of more sophisticated tools to be able to tell us, you know, which of these four pathways someone should really focus on. And right now, you know, we are kind of focusing on all of them, hoping that, you know, by addressing everything, we're kind of slowing down across the board. But being able to categorize and profile individuals can, will be able to give us that much more personalization and an anti-aging treatment approach. So I guess there's enough whatever defines an immunity, immune type or liver function type is obviously enough consensus between whatever all those people were in that group that they're able to predict it with some degree of 
certainty. Exactly. That's interesting. I mean, they essentially looked at the different blood markers and I mean, this included, you know, metabolites and proteins, mm-hmm. uh, cytokines, lab values, transcripts. So they overlapped all of these different biometrics and values to determine this. It was a very interesting, comprehensive study. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. The one that really sticks out to me when I think of metabolism and inflammation, I guess I guess all of them, I, I'm going to just quickly go back to the mitochondria because what people may not remember and from their biology is like, as you said, the mitochondria is this energy unit in cells that, that give, it's like a furnace, whatever your battery, whatever the, a metaphor you want to use. And that's for me what I find really exciting in terms of possible therapeutics, because there is some interesting research around basic supplements, because um, I want to leave some people with, with a couple of ideas at the end. But there is some compelling evidence around things that people may have heard of, like CoQ10, whether it's not it's absorbed well, and maybe there's a better form on the market. Carnitine, which helps bring fatty acids into the mitochondria. Vitamin K2 has similar mm-hmm. features like CoQ10 in terms of energy production. And that's, yeah, I guess when I think about biohacking, like that's really what it is that really gets me excited is this whole energy production as people age. But I know it's bigger than that, but that's always fascinating me. And, and I think there's room for just optimal, you know, for people if they're thinking about nutrition and optimizing that function using some nutri- key targeted nutraceuticals and, and healthy diet, but also activity and, and that type of thing. Yeah, I, I love that. And I completely agree. You know, we can, we don't have to get down about the fact that these longevity therapeutics aren't on the market yet. That's the whole reason why I'm biohacking because I'm interested to know what can I do right now to kind of keep myself in that prime state until something truly viable is available on the market in terms of longevity therapeutics. So that's what I focus on and that's sort of the information that I share out. And I'm constantly interested to know how can I optimize using what's available today? Um, and you mentioned some great supplements for mitochondrial function. There's also HIIT training, which is great. So if someone's looking to exercise, you know, high intensity interval training has been shown to kind of give you the highest ROI for your mm-hmm. time spent in terms of optimizing your energy production. Yeah, that's something I, I try to tell clients and stuff. You don't have to spend hours in the gym if they just did some mm-hmm. hit. It would be awesome. So since you brought it up, I'm just wondering if you can just share maybe quickly tests that you've tried. Where are they in terms of application? Like are they have they been validated, et cetera? And what are you doing to to hack your your hack yourself, I guess? Sure. Yeah, we can talk about the test. So there are a number of tests that someone can do. I mean, you can start with your biological age, um, determining that as kind of like your benchmark for what you're going to be doing and retesting every six months or so, or even like every year, right? It'd be interesting to see how your rate of aging changes as you as you as you go. So there are a couple of tests that I've done in this space. So I've done my DNA, which is an epigenetic test. And then there's also glycan age, which is sort of the first test of its kind, really, because it's looking at the state of your immune system and inflammation and looking at your glycans in your blood. I'm still waiting for the results on that one due to COVID. Everything's been taking a while to ship, but I'm curious to compare my epigenetic test versus glycan age and what that can tell you, because, you know, your epigenetics is one thing, but looking at the state of inflammation in your body was an interesting 
biological age marker also um, to kind of provide that holistic overview of what's happening. There's also uh, DNA tests that people can do, right? Like if you just want to get to know what's what's my biological blueprint, how's my body set up to function. So I did a test through DNA company, but I mean, there are so many different kinds available on the market. I'm not, you know, affiliated with these companies. So again, they're different tests. These are just the ones that I've tried myself. Mm -hmm. So getting your DNA blueprint is interesting, but again, like important to remember that your DNA accounts for only, you know, 50 to 60% of how you're going to age. And there are a lot of other factors that play into that. And then going into additional tests, you know, you can test your telomeres, as we discussed, I personally haven't tested my telomeres. I personally don't believe that there is an accurate enough test available on the market right now, just based on the commercially available technology they use to test these sort of mass consumer tests. The type of technology required to provide a more accurate result is not really scalable at the moment. So they're typically used in research labs. So I'm holding off and testing my telomeres for a little bit. (laughs) It's sort of um, nice to have tests as I see it. So it'd be fun to know, but am I going to really rely on the results? Not at the moment. And then in terms of quantifying the rest of your biology, there are a number of blood tests or urine tests you can do. So we talked about DNA Having your detailed blood lab panel is great. Just testing, you know, the state of the nutrients, micronutrients, or the building blocks in your blood, inflammatory markers, things like that. Is there anything you're deficient in? Is there anything you should stop eating? (laughs) That can be a great test. A a good one that I know of is Nutrival, which is by Genova Diagnostics. Or, you know, in Canada, we're lucky to be able to get some free blood work done. So definitely, you know, <laughs> maximize that. Like, look at your values. You know, we're, we can, re- anyone in Canada can request to get their blood lab reports from their doctor, right? So just um, going through that in detail and kind of starting to understand more on track in that regard, it was helpful. There are also gut microbiome tests. So GI map is one that's kind of recommended by functional medicine doctors that can give you state of your microbiome. So if someone has gut issues that they're dealing with and you just kind of want to get a better profile on what's going on, what should I be focusing on? That's a great tool. And then lastly, I'd say a big category is body composition. So I know I posted some on uh, that topic on my profile doing the DEXA scan. It's sort of the clinical gold standard right now for measuring body composition. So weight is such a vague marker, you know, it doesn't really tell you, well, what's my body fat percentage versus lean muscle mass percentage. So getting a smart scale may be helpful or just doing the DEXA scan. So you'd have to make an appointment for that versus a smart scale is something you could have in your home. So I have one as well where, you know, if you're going to be trying a new exercise routine or dietary intervention, it's just interesting to see how your body responds to that and, and track your body composition. You know, is your body fat going up? Is it going down? Are you building your lean muscle mass? Things like that. 
Yeah, I had a DEXA scan and I really liked it because it told me my total bone mineral, but it also told me if I had any signs of sarcopenia or age-related muscle loss, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't, thank goodness. And I guess for people in Canada, they can easily ask for their fasting insulin, get their fasting blood sugar and their A1C, and the A1C is the three-month average of your blood sugar. But the Fasting insulin, I don't know if you've done it, you can do your HOMA IR or homeostatic model assessment of insulin resistance because you can have normal blood sugar and normal A1C, mm-hmm. but be insulin resistant. So those would be simple, simple ones. The one I'm really interested in because my new obsession is, is glycation and just the effects of blood sugar on how it makes proteins and things sticky. Does the myglycanage do glycation? Glycan, glycan age. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it does test, it looks at your glycosylation pattern. So to your point, exactly. It's very interesting because glycans can really affect your health overall and everyone kind of has an individual glycan pattern and glycans sort of modify immunoglobulin G molecules, which is the most prevalent antibody type in our blood. Um, It's important for controlling inflammation and dealing with pathogens. So based on the type of glycan group that's attached to the IgG molecule, we'll determine if the IgG molecule will enhance or reduce inflammation. And then since, you know, we know that chronic inflammation is bad and it can really exhaust our resources to keep our body in good health. So low level of inflammation has been shown to be a predictor of successful aging. So looking at the glycosylation pattern is something that the glycan H biological age test does. So I'm very excited to get those results. And also, you know, always a little nervous to get the results because kind of get, yeah. like getting a report card on yeah. your on your lifestyle. So we'll see what comes up. But yeah, it's exciting because we have these kind of tools that are increasingly more and more available to us to really quantify what's going on in our bodies. Yeah. And I think it really appeals to a certain type of people who just love numbers and data and, and all that kind of stuff. So just before we find out where we could learn all about you and the meetup group, et cetera, Are there three simple hacks somebody could do right away to get on the road to better health? Uh, Anything specific, something fun besides like exercise. And I don't want to put you on on the spot, but. Um, Something fun. I mean, I'm a big proponent of sleep. You you know that because that's like the number one foundational thing that is going to help you live healthier for longer. And most of us aren't sleeping properly these days Mm -hmm. or missing out on sleep or quality of sleep. So really like fix your sleep, everyone, please. It's something that I'm always talking about because it's a free an easy hack to kind of address. You don't need to spend any money on it. Exercise, talked about HIIT training. Light as well is a a big one. So blocking blue light at night that can help with sleep and melatonin production, but it really helps set your circadian rhythm. So get outside in the morning to anchor your circadian rhythm. Let your body know that it's it's daytime. We spend so much time in artificial light that it it can really confuse our circadian rhythm um, in terms of like, when, when should I be awake? When should I be asleep? So looking to optimize that is an easy one also. Intermittent fasting is another free biohack that anyone can implement. So the reasoning behind that is really our bodies are always in a growth or repair mode. So when we eat, our bodies are in a growth mode versus when we don't, your body can focus on repairing any damage, clearing out any any damage out of our bodies. So intermittent fasting for, and you know, if someone's just starting out, like, 
12 hours a day is sort of like a basic standard one. If you can push that a little longer, some people fast for 13 hours or 16 hours. And then that means, you know, if you're fasting for 16 hours, you're consuming all your calories for the day within eight hours of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's another one. Cold and heat. So cold showers, (laughs) not, I don't know if that can be called a fun one, but it can be unpleasant. But if you get used to cold showers and that can happen pretty fast, If you're doing cold showers within like a few days, your body just kind of gets more used to it, but that can activate brown fat tissue and speed up metabolism. It's a great anti-aging hack. And then a fun one is like laughter and socializing. Mm, (laughs) Spend more time with, uh, you know, friends, family, those meaningful connections. There was a study, a longevity study that looked at different factors and laughter and socializing always comes up on top. You know, people who have strong social networks tend to live longer. Yeah, it's a good one. And just before we wrap up, one thing that I do as a dietitian nutritionist is just try to get people to go four or five hours without eating, like as a baby step, like, you know, this Mm. idea of constant grazing yeah, can have problems. So this was amazing. I know everyone's going to like it. I liked that I could talk for two more hours, Um, (laughs) but uh, that's not a good idea. So where can people learn more about you, your work and and the the meetup group if you're interested, uh, et cetera? My Instagram account is Canadian Biohacker, where I share all my tips and tricks. As as I learn about all these things, as I research, I'm always sharing out new things that I'm learning about um, and trying to make it as practical and applicable as possible. My website is CanadianBiohacker.com, where you can find a link to the Biohacking Longevity TO meetup group. So hope to see you all there. And otherwise, yeah, Canadian Biohacker is where it's across all my social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, YouTube videos. Great. Yeah, no, I look forward to your posts. They're informative and amusing and a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Okay, so thanks again for taking the time today and I bid you farewell. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll uh, connect again sometime. Thanks so much, Doug. This was such a great conversation. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Me too. Thanks. (laughs) Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Hit subscribe and get ready to expand your nutritional world, your perspective, and gain confidence in a way that you didn't know you could. And be sure to check out my website, dougcookrd.com.